Okay. Thank you so much for the invitation and for coming in this morning um, to spend some time with me as I kind of share with you what I've learned over the years. Uh, I must say, <clears throat> I want to thank Aaron for that's the most unusual introduction I think I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate it. And it is kind of wonderful. Uh, if you do Google Maslack, you get glass and burnout. <laughs> it's a great combination. Um, so what I'd like to do today, <clears throat> excuse me, is, as I said, share with you basic things that we, and when I say we, I mean many other researchers in various uh, countries around the world now have been doing and have been discovering about burnout. Uh, and I want to sort of frame it in ways that I think hope, hopefully will be helpful for you as you understand what it is and also what it's not. So um, this is just sort of to summarize this. You may already know in some ways from either your own experience or you've been reading the research literature that's being done on it. But um, healthcare has been <coughs> concerned about burnout, <coughs> excuse me, for a long, long time, and probably more research done in healthcare than just about any other occupation. Although these days, a lot of other places talk about it. And it's linked to, and I list here a number of things, poor quality of patient care, um, more medical errors, dysfunctional relationships with colleagues, greater risk of substance abuse, greater risk of depression, suicidal ideation, and a stronger intention to leave the medical profession. So all of this is saying something is not going well when people are ex having this experience at work. Burnout is not <clears throat> really like a mental illness or a disease or something, but it is something that comes about as a result of the kind of challenges and tasks that you have. But we really worry about the long-term effects down the road that may occur if there's not some way of figuring out how to cope more effectively with it. So this is what we have learned about burnout. Um, the problem is really three interrelated aspects of job experience. And they can come in, as I'll show you later, different patterns in different, different ways. Um, one is exhaustion. And this marks it as a stress experience. Exhaustion is the stress response. It's part of burnout, um, and, and this is something that people react to. But that's not all it is. Sometimes people just look at the exhaustion and say, oh, that's burnout. Well, it's exhaustion, and we you know, look at that. What happens with burnout uh, in a very um, important way is that second uh, aspect of cynicism, depersonalization, it's a negative response that begins to grow over time towards the job, the people, anybody that you're interacting with as sort of saying, I wish I wasn't dealing with it, I don't want to be here, uh, you're doing the bare minimum rather than your very best. Uh, and, and it's this that begins to lead to some of those uh, negative outcomes that we see in, in, that I showed you before. Uh, so in some sense, that when that really begins to set in, that's even more of a hallmark of burnout than the exhaustion. Uh, and then the third component that we see is uh, people begin to doubt themselves. So it's now a negative reaction to me. Uh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I made a mistake pursuing this career. I'm not proud of what I've done sometimes. Or, you know, and this can lead, again, if, if not, you know, 
some efforts to try and turn this around can lead to later problems, say, with depression or anxiety or some other difficulties in dealing with it. So these three kind of intertwine in different ways. We don't know if there's a particular pattern that is more or less, um, uh, or a path, let's say, that's more or less likely to occur. But basically then, as I say, when these all come in, and really with burnout, we're saying all of those negative things are happening. Um, people are just overwhelmed, unable to cope well, unmotivated, and negative attitudes, poor performance. It really comes into this really sort of bad package. So defining it. Um, it's a prolonged response to chronic stressors, situational stressors on the job. Okay. And I want to emphasize the prolonged and chronic stressors. It usually is not the periodic acute crises or something like that. It's the everyday stuff that really begins to wear you down. And after a while, you're not dealing with it very well. This is why, in a sense, it's more prolonged and it's harder to turn around. So you really need to focus on not changing burnout, but changing the kind of conditions that might be the you know, things that are starting it. Um, so as I said, three dimensions, just to repeat there, the exhaustion, which is the individual stress response, and um, all of the research shows that everything we know about the stress response is what's happening when exhaustion occurs in terms of other impacts for your health and well-being uh, and so forth. Um, what was that? Okay, can I go back? No, I can't go back. What am I doing? You know, yeah. Stressful. Yeah. Oh my God! Technology. There we go. Okay. All right. The cynicism, the negative response to the job, and then the negative self-evaluation. So those are the the kinds of things that we we look for. Okay. If there's one thing I want you to remember from this talk, it's these following six strategic areas. And I say that because what we have found so far is that in these areas, which really get at a fit between the person and the job, um, if things are really out of whack, out of balance, not a good fit, big mismatch, down the road, year or so, we'll see more burnout. If things are working relatively well, we'll see uh, more engagement and less of the risk of burnout. Okay, the first one is workload, and this is probably, this is the demands of the job, and this is probably the one that everybody thinks of first. I'm working too hard, too much, can't deal with it. And indeed, workload is the best predictor, mismatches, you know, imbalances in workload is the best predictor of exhaustion that we know of that single one. Um, so workload, too much to do, not enough resources to get it done, you know, that kind of, that kind of problem. Uh, second area has to do with one's sense of control and autonomy and discretion and to be able to do the job in the way that you think best using all the skills and talent that you have. People who feel they lack control um, or things are so chaotic, it's not clear how you can be in control of this, well again, that's the imbalance, the mismatch that will lead to greater burnout. Third area is reward, 
And it's really the positive feedback that you get for a job well done. Uh, and either you're working in a situation where you rarely get any positive feedback for a job well done. Um, what we're finding is that it's not so much about things like pay or benefits, not to knock those, but I mean, the thing that often is really important here is the recognition you get from other people. And that is expressed um, and that you, you know, they are letting you know that, wow, that was really terrific. Thanks so much for helping out doing this. You meant so much, et cetera. So that sort of social feedback is, is really important. And I think in a lot of the original work I did with healthcare and human services, interestingly, a number of those jobs almost were designed in a way to prevent positive feedback from coming. And I'd ask people, what's a great day? What's a good day, you know, at work? And there'd be this pause and they'd think about it and say, no screamers. It was kind of like, nothing bad happens, that would be a good day. But there was not a, a good day of things positively happening in some way. Um, uh, community. This uh, we're seeing rising to the top in a lot of places. It's really the workplace community. And what that means is all of your relationships with coworkers, bosses, patients, families, I mean, all the people who are, in some sense, who you're interacting with during the day. Uh, and when there is good trust and support and people can work well together in teams, it's fantastic. If it turns toxic, socially toxic, like people you know, can't work well together, there's a lot of infighting, incivility, bullying, and all this kind of stuff, then people, you know, this can be really a serious problem uh, for burnout. Fairness. This one is popping up a little bit more than um, we used to see, but it's the notion that ha whatever the rules are, whatever the policies are, however we do this, that there ought to be fair principles guiding, you know, who gets the new opportunity or, you know, all of these kinds of, of things. So if people feel they're being treated unfairly, being dissed, not respected, um, this can, again, cause uh, great problems. I'll get back to that one later, actually. Um, and then finally, we're finding values. And that really is what is it that makes, you know, in terms of your personal values and beliefs, it makes your life meaningful. Uh, is your job, in a sense, a way in which you can actually live that out and it, it means a lot to you? Or are you in a situation where you can't or are you having to do things that are unethical or you know, going against uh, what you truly believe in? Uh, so a values is another uh, important one. So these six areas are a summary of a lot of research um, which sort of says that if things are going wrong in a bad way in some of these areas, this is where you may look or want to look to see, can we turn this around in some way? So it's, a, it's a, almost like a diagnostic tool in a sense to say where are some of the problems. And I'll come back to that later. So here's the mismatch, um, demand overload, a lack of control, insufficient reward, um, no matter how hard you're working, you're really not getting any of the positive feedback. Breakdown of community ties, absence of fairness and value conflicts. Now, do all of these have to be problematic before burnout sets in? Is it, can one alone be a problem? 
Um, still a lot more work we need to do to answer some of those questions, but I'll, I'll give you some case examples a little later to show you what we've seen. Um, so yeah, I think in some cases something in one area can really pose a real problem. Uh, and it can be a, it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, to be good, but um, these are the important things that, or the, how can I say it, things about the context of the work that we've learned make a difference. <coughs> Okay, so the match, sustainable workload. It's not about that you don't have enough to do or you're just not working hard or something, but it's something you can recover from, you know, do well, et, et cetera. Um, that you have an appropriate amount of choice and control over how you do the job. That you're getting recognition and reward for when you do things well that you've got a supportive work community, you know, you've got each other's back, and that means you're there for other people as well as they being for you. You're mentoring when you have that opportunity. You are, you know, you're glad you're working with the people who are on your team and your unit. There's fairness, respect, social justice about what it is that we do and how we carry it out, and it's clear values and meaningful work. Um, and healthcare, I think, has an advantage over a number of other occupations that we've studied in having a real good and strong mission about providing health care and uh, helping others. And so uh, you're already sort of ahead of the game in terms of that, of that area. But to lose that, uh, when I've interviewed you know, physicians or nurses or something and sort of saying, it's not what I thought this is going to be. It's turned into a job. I'm bitter, disillusioned, you know, getting out. They've lost that as well. And that, and that is a real important thing. So more matches, more engagement. So burnout is not the most important thing in all of this. Uh, people think, oh, we've got to do something to lower the rates of burnout. Burnout is a marker. It's a, it's a mediator between all of the mismatches in these areas and possible outcomes that may occur. So it's like a red flag, it's like a marker. It's saying something is not going well here, but to, in a sense, quote, treat it, I don't want to make it sound like a disease, but you know, but to do something about it, you've really got to be looking at what are our major problem areas, how can we turn those around? The burnout will, as I said, because it's a more response to chronic stressors, it, it is slower to move, but it will uh, in response to these things. So this is um, something that I wanted to share with you that is actually pretty much hot off the press in terms of new research. In fact, there's a blog on Thrive Global that just came out this morning, um, or yesterday, I guess, about this. And this is where a colleague of mine, uh, Matt Leiter, and I worked with uh, large samples of healthcare workers from several institutions. And we used some new research techniques that are now available to really look at the full range of profiles. And uh, so what I want to point out here is that over here, the blue one, 15% of all of these many thousands of people, are burned out in the sense of being at the extreme point of negative scores on all three dimensions, okay? And over here, this green one, 29% of our sample, these are the ones who are the three positive scores. So those two are the ends of the burnout, engagement, 
dimensions, okay? What we were able to do is, with this technique, is look at all the other clusters of patterns in between those two. And what we were discovering is that there are at least three other patterns or clusters or profiles uh, that you can find in between those, those two extremes. Um, so the, this one here, uh, the pink one, is what we call ineffective. And what it is is they're not showing problems with exhaustion. They're not showing problems with cynicism. But in terms of their sense of personal accomplishment and you know, achievement and efficacy, not feeling good, okay? So somehow the job is not uh, you know, giving them that kind of, you know, I'm good at this, I'm proud of what I'm doing, et cetera. Um, this yellow one, uh, the 17%, is what we call overextended. And these are the people, all they show of burnout is exhaustion, nothing else. So they're high on exhaustion, but they're okay on, uh, you know, not cynical, and they are um, okay on, on a sense of accomplishment. So they're, they're a different pattern. And then this one over here, 20%, uh, is what we call disengaged. And the only big negative thing they're showing is the cynicism. They don't have the exhaustion, but they're really negative about the work. Uh, they still feel they can do it well, so that's not a problem. So what's exciting to us to be able to identify uh, these patterns is to say that there is more to the work experience and what people might be going through than just the extremes of burnout and engagement. And in fact, interventions for the things that are for people in the middle um, might be different in some way, that what you would do for people who, for example, are feeling ineffective is quite different than you might uh, for someone who's disengaged. So let me show you, <clears throat> this is now those six areas plus one more uh, that we got data on from all of those many thousands of people that I just showed you in the pie chart. Uh, and if you look at it, the, here's over here, these are people who are looking really good on everything, okay? Now, all of those different areas of work, some are higher, some are lower. That's the engaged group, okay? They're doing pretty well. You go to the other end, that's the burned out group. They're negative on everything. Um, let me go back to that, sorry. Um, so if you look at the, you know, so that kind of all makes sense. It replicates the other research that we're seeing. But look at these in-between profiles. There's a lot of people out there who are saying exhaustion is the only important thing to look at at burnout. Well, here's the one people who are exhausted. They're here in the middle. And you see their issue is workload, big time, you know, that big green thing that's going down. But for the rest of it, it's not so bad. It's all sort of around the kind of baseline, kind of middling, not great, not, you know, bad. Um, they don't look like this pattern over here, but the disengaged do. So it's when the cynicism begins to go high that we're really beginning to see them sliding towards burnout uh, and moving in that direction. And then here's this profile over here, which is the ineffective. And as you can see, they're really not having a problem with workload, but you know, there's not much that's real positive either. You know, there's sort of, you know, and particularly things like recognition, that's their low one, um, you know, community, all those kind of things, uh, control. So um, 
there are these different patterns uh, that we are able now to identify and by using the scores on the MBI in a different way so that you can really uncover the partials, the intermediates, if you will, um, and, uh, and not just the ends, the extremes uh, on this. So this is new work. Um, we are going to be looking at new things about what we understand about what's happening to these people. I want to say, by the way, that if you look at the ineffective group, that is unstudied. Nobody's paying attention and really talks about it because often people will take the MBI and only look at one scale, maybe two, but they think that you know, that'll be simpler, it'll be easier, but they're missing what, if you look at that, that profile over there of the ineffective right here, um, they could get much better more easily if they got, in some sense, some more positive attention and recognition for the work they do, rather than working in silence and nobody pays <coughs> attention, even though they're doing a great job. So what it, you know, could be possible for people who are here uh, might be, in a sense, a more effective strategy to begin to move people more into this engaged thing than just working on the people who are at the far end of burnout. Um, so stay tuned. We'll hope to learn a lot more about all of this as we go through. So the question is usually, is it a problem of the person or the situation? And I raise this because this comes about all the time. It's the people, right? We got the wrong people. They just can't handle it. If you, you, know, if you can't take the heat, don't get in the kitchen, all of this kind of thing. And often, a lot of the strategies are, what's your problem? What's your problem? It's your, you know, take care of yourself, please, and, um, and not looking at the other part of it. Um, and so I, I just put in one quote here from one of the many studies done in the Mayo Clinic. The fact that almost one in two physicians has symptoms of burnout, and by the way, this is usually one or more. So 50% could include the exhausted, overextended, as well as burned out as, you know, et cetera. But anyway, the fact that one in two has symptoms of burnout implies that the origins of the problem are rooted in the environment and care delivery system and rather than in personal characteristics. Um, of a few susceptible individuals. And what Mayo Clinic researchers here are saying is what is coming out in research in many other occupations um, in the same way, in terms of it's actually the person and the situation. It's not an e either or kind of thing. Uh, and that uh, when we you know, look at this, we really need to take both things into account. Okay. It turns out uh, that most of the interventions or the kinds of things we can do to solve the problem that are out there all come from the stress and coping health literature, and they're not bad ideas, lots of good ideas. But there is a problem with them because they don't always solve the problem. They're doing some other kind of, they're making you healthier, they're trying to make you more resilient, they're trying to help you make you stronger because the stress is going up and up but they're not looking at the stress going up and up, and what can you do on that end to try and, and change things? So what happens, uh, and you know, this is, I think, some of the implications for why some of these interventions, even with the best of intentions, don't work as well as they could, is that the implicit message, and a lot of people hear it, is blaming the victim. If you can't do the job, if you're having any com you know, problems or struggles or whatever, your problem, 
you got to fix it. You've got to, you know, etc. Get more sleep, do all this kind of stuff. Um, deep breathe, you know, etc. Um, it, it has been uh, unfortunate, I think, that then it becomes burnout is being turned into something else. It, just exhaustion uh, or it's poor mental health. There's something not good about you or a clinical deficit. Um, and if you wait long enough, burnout can lead to depression, and then yes, you have a mental health problem and for which you can seek treatment. But to somehow equate it in the same way there um, is, not, is not understanding how it develops. It gives then the framework of treating a psychological disease, and that was never ever the way it was defined or looked at or studied or recognized. Um, can it lead to some psychological problems? Yes. Is it in and of itself the psychological problem? No, it's a step on that path. So helping the individual cope better with the situation is not necessarily the same as also trying to improve the situation. Uh, and so I think there are a lot of reasons why some of these things don't get the same kind of response that people would hope um, would happen. So the better strategies really are focusing on both person and situation. Um, and basically the strategies are ones that not just don't focus on what do we do to reduce burnout or prevent burnout or whatever, but we focus on the positive goal. We want to build greater engagement with work. How do we improve things? How do we get, you know, move the needle on different things in a more positive direction? What we've been finding, and I'll show you some case studies, um, regular organizational assessments. It's, if I can use a medical term, it's like having a normal checkup periodically, every year, two years, something like that. How are we doing? What kind of things have changed that we need to kind of figure out how to adapt to it better? Uh, trying to go in in the middle of a crisis situation and say we're going to do something about burnout is not a good time to try and get people to deal with it. You want to do it on, as part of your regular um, activities. And all of these with the goal of early detection and prevention. If you begin to see some problem areas, what can we do before it really gets bad? Um, by the way, I just wanted to point out um, this little photo um, of a matchbook. And you can see all the matches who represent different kinds of occupations and some are on fire and whatever. Um, I have a sentimental feeling about this because it was the cover of a magazine, Human Behavior, that was the first place that published any of my work on burnout when I couldn't get it into academic journals because people didn't believe it actually occurred, even though I had all this data, the interviews and stuff. And so it was in this magazine, and they liked it. They put cover art on it. So the art actually made the whole thing just, you know, in those days we were still in snail mail, but, uh, you know, not internet. But it's like going viral in some setting. What happened when this came out was that I was just getting sackfuls of mail from people saying, let me tell you my story. I thought I was the only one who said this. Let me tell you, you know, I work in the visa consular office. Let me tell you, da 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 And out of that, a lot more interviews, a lot more um, following people on the job and so forth to understand what was happening elsewhere. And it was sort of like you sort of touch something and all of a sudden, ah! you know, things happen. So that was the cover art. Um, okay, the organizational checkups. Part, some of what I've done a lot over the years and with my colleagues is 
work out arrangements to work with large organizations in which they would like some consultation, we would like some research data, and we have an exchange so that we're all learning something about what is happening and um, you know, try and see what's going on. Um, and we try and get participation by as close to 100% of the people as we can. I've never done that, but we really try and get it up to 80, 90% because you want to hear from everybody. You don't want to hear just the people who always complain and you don't want to get the people who always talk. You know, I mean, it's not uh, the usual suspects. Uh, to do that, you have to set up a really collaborative planning process with people from all different uh, units and levels in the organization to figure out how to make this happen. Um, and then on the basis of the checkup, the organization would target a particular thing or an area, in this case, uh, that they wanted to work on. And, uh, and then we would come back and do another checkup with them a year later or, or so. It's not clear what the best time frame is, but I'll, this one was one year. I'll give you an example. Okay. So this was one of the first organizations. This was not a hospital, by the way. Uh, it was a different uh, kind of, of business. Um, but I'm showing you just the six areas, okay? I mean, we, we collected a lot of other information and worked on it. But um, I always ask ahead of time, what do you think the pattern is gonna look like? What are gonna be the positive areas and what are gonna be the negative areas? And more often than not, people say workload is gonna be a problem. People are working too hard, they're too stressed. Interestingly, more often than not, workload is not the big, biggest problem area. Turns out people can do the workload, but they've got all this other stuff that's getting in the way. So it's kind of interesting to see this. In this particular organization, it was about 1,000 employees altogether, uh, so we have about 900 or so uh, people in there. This is the average uh, on workload. It was looking more on the positive side. They could, they could deal with it. Control, well, a little bit less. The recognition reward, they were okay with, but the relationships in the community, fairness and values were less than the norm for this particular uh, occupational group. The CEOs and the managers were particularly upset about fairness being a negative. People think we are unfair, that we don't, you know, I mean, this was like a real shock. So they targeted fairness as the issue that we're gonna you know, figure out where is it you know, located, what are the problems, what can we do about it? Um, so there were many things that took place throughout this organization, and I'll give you one example of a kind of fairness issue. There was um, an award, kind of like a distinguished service award for somebody who had done something over and above you know, the usual, and it came with a, a check with money, and. Um, and it was universally despised by all of the employees. They hated this award. If they heard they might be nominated for it, they didn't want anybody to know that they were. And when I pointed this out, that this was one of the fairness issues, they were saying, oh, well, maybe it's not, we're not giving enough money for the award to say how much we really appreciate. I said, no, no, reward, recognition wasn't the issue. Fairness is the issue. And it turned out that there were, I mean, you know, it was like 50 different ways to be unfair. This award had it, you know. Um, so what would, I'll give you a few examples. Um, you had to be nominated by your supervisor. 
Well, if you had a supervisor who was good about getting nominations in for these things, you might get on the list. But if you had a supervisor who couldn't be bothered or never got around to it, you would never get recognized. Or um, it would be they would nominate, uh, a, there was a team project, and it was only the leader of the team who would get the award, and none of the team members would get it who actually did the work. So, you know, you just go on down the list. There were all these things that made this award not fairly recognizing people who really did something special. So one of the things was we're going to rethink this award because, you know, people were, were not happy with it. And um, got people together collaboratively to work out what would be a more fair system, what would actually say to people, you know, if you got the award, this was a meaningful kind of thing. So this is a year later. Go back to the same people. Um, and as you see, look at fairness. <coughs> Um, over right of whoops, I did that again. Okay, um, but over on the over there, and you can see they really did turn around. A year later, people—I mean, not just the award. There were other things around fairness, but fairness had really improved. People were feeling much better about you know, yeah, we've got a fair process for a number of things. So that's, that was really important. The other thing to notice about this is that having targeted, we're going to do something to improve things here, it led to positive changes on all of the other areas. And they, they are intertwined. I mean, people have to work with other people in the community. They get to know each other. They begin to, you know, have a better working relationship. Um, you know, they were experiencing more control. They had input. Uh, into what is actually going to happen on these number of processes that have been improved. So this kind of thing is not an unusual thing that happens. So it's not, it's, it's kind of you want to find a place to start with something where you can really begin to make an improvement and it takes work and it takes a lot of input so that everybody's on board with it, but it can actually have long, longer term effects. This particular organization this, as you can see, we started back in 2000, 2001. They have continued to do this assessment checkup on their own every single year since then. And every year, it's going to be new problems, or it's going to be a different thing, or there's fine, and they just move on. Uh, but it's a little way that they check on how we're how we're going. Um, building engagement. Um, <clears throat> again, what we were finding is that. <clears throat> Often in organizations, people don't want to really talk a lot about burnout and focus on all the negative stuff. Um, and people worry about even raising it because it'll open a Pandora's box of problems. Or people will feel that they don't want to answer any questions about it because it's not really confidential and maybe they will be tracked down and da-da-da-da and they won't answer honestly and all the rest of that stuff. But if you f turn it around and frame it in the positive, how can we get a little better? How can we improve it uh, and focus on what those positive goals might be? Then you are going to have an opportunity to get to a more positive place of more engagement, um, less negative uh, uh, response in terms of burnout. So doing it in terms of, of not what we want to get rid of or prevent or not have happen can also be achieved by focusing on where we do want to be and what would make it better and what would really enhance um, the work that we do. Um, so this is one uh, project, I think I mentioned it to a number of you yesterday. Um, this has been done in many hospitals throughout Canada. 
um, by a colleague of mine. And it is something called Civility, Respect, and Engagement at Work, um, and named Loma's Crew. And it's been done with, I seem to move, and then I, what, what do I do here? Just take it out? Yes, okay. Um, this has been done with nurses. Um, and not that it is specific to nurses or only nurses, I think it can actually be useful for all kinds of people. Um, but he's done a lot of work working in, in uh, hospital settings and with nurses. And one of the problems that they were always constantly coming up with, as, and it was shown that it was being related to burnout levels, was <coughs> civility, or rather incivility, in how we talk to each other, how we work together, the feedback we give each other, and saying that, you know, this is sometimes the thing that really is the most difficult, aggravating, leads to our stress and burnout. So it's a community issue uh, that they were talking about. And this intervention to try and deal with this was developed um, by people uh, in nursing at the Veterans Hospital Administration in Cincinnati. He heard about it. He and his research team then collaborated with hospitals to implement it. Um, and he's done many, many studies with many, many <laughs> hospitals comparing all these different units against control baselines. It takes six months. And the lesson we learned from this and many other things that if you're going to make a change, it takes time. And it's got to be on your agenda, and it's got to be something that you work on you know, and commit to. It only required only one hour meeting a week for six months. But as you probably know, trying to find a time when everybody in the unit can get together for one hour a week is probably almost impossible. So it's amazing that they were even able to do some of this. But basically, it would be pulling, getting together, pulling incidents that occurred that really people felt were critical incidents where things didn't go well in terms of the communication that was going back and forth. And then figure out how could you do it better? What would be a you know, better way of, you need to you know, point out something didn't go well, but how would you, you know, convey that in a way that somebody you know, would respond well to that? Um, they would wear these uh, buttons that had this crew emblem on their you know, uniform kind of thing. So that if you're in the middle of a very difficult situation and something goes wrong uh, in terms of how people are interacting, they'd be pointing to the button, you know, saying, later, what happened just here, we need to talk about. Basically, the results of many studies show um, burnout scores, burnout level go down, engagement goes up, also tracked absenteeism, it went down. People started coming back to work uh, on a more regular basis, more civility. So it, they've also followed up, not just at the end of the six months, six months later, a year later, and the positive effects are still, you know, it's now become sort of baked into the culture, and it's actually beginning to make a difference. And the people involved have figured out a better way in which we work uh, together. So this is, again, something that says it's possible to begin to make a cultural change in an area that you've identified as problematic. It takes time. It takes commitment. You've got to practice it until it becomes second nature. But it actually works. Um, so that's one of the group interventions that we, you know, it's been quite amazing that it's, it's done that. Okay, so what are all the lessons learned from what we've been doing and seeing in all the research? 
it's more of a chronic situational process than an individual problem. Uh, and really trying to understand what can we do about these processes that will, you know, uh, help not just an individual but many individuals is really what's critical. Um, trying to find ways to make improvements that are customized to the, you know, the local group, the local unit, um, can in fact uh, help prevent burnout build engagement. Um, these improvements rely on reciprocal relationships between colleagues, and I can't emphasize that enough. What we're finding is that it's a double-edged sword. The people you're working with can sometimes be your worst enemy, but they really, really, really can be your best help, colleague, support, whatever. And those kinds of relationships are really precious. You want to make sure that those are working incredibly well. Um, and what we're finding, <coughs> excuse me, is that six areas of that job person fit can be a really valuable diagnostic tool that gives you, rather than, oh gosh, people are working too hard, let's, we've got to do something about workload or hours or whatever, that may not be the most important problem. It's certainly something that people raise it. But there are five other areas, it turn 